0: Welcome back to our podcast, Regulation Matters, A CLEAR Conversation. Once again, I'm your host, Lyon Dempsey, and I am currently the Chief Compliance Officer with Rick Associates Family Dentistry here in North Carolina. I'm also the chair of CLEAR's National Certified Investigative Training Committee. As many of you are aware, the Council on Licensure Enforcement and Regulation, or CLEAR, is an association of individuals, agencies, and organizations that comprise the international community of professional and occupational regulation. This podcast is an opportunity for you to hear about the important topics in our regulatory community. With today's episode we want to acknowledge the important contribution of two CLEAR members. Joining us today we have Steve Nettles and Jim Zukowski who have recently stepped down from a long tenure on the editorial board for the CLEAR exam review journal. So we thank you for your service and dedication over the years, and we're super glad to have you with us today. So welcome.
1: Well, thanks, I'm glad to be here. Yes, likewise, this is a, it's it was quite an opportunity to uh, review 30 years.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, well, we we are super glad to speak with you. And, and also let me thank our listeners for joining us today. You know, I hope our listeners have had a chance to benefit um, from the clear exam review. I know I have. Uh, over the years and but but let me kind of set the stage for a discussion of the a you know the clear exam review is a biannual journal um, that, that has useful discussions on current licensing examination issues you know and it's geared towards our clear um, to, to our broad audience that we have at clear um, going back to the clear archives the journal began actually in the 1980s with its precursor um, it was then called the National Clearing House on Examination Information. Then 1990 was the, the first issue of our clear exam review, and Steve, you joined the editorial board with volume three, number one in the winter of 1992, and Jim, um, I understand you joined in the winter of 1994. So take us back, if you will, kind of to those beginnings and and maybe how you first got involved. And let me start with Steve first, and then we'll go to Jim. So. Uh, bring us up to speed.
1: <laughs> okay, well, well, thank you, uh, Um I had to remember back, uh, it's quite a few years, but uh, at that time, um, when I first heard about CLEAR, I was working at Educational Testing Service, and in, uh, real close to my office was uh, Ben Schimberg, and Ben, as you know, is a, a, a <coughs> kingpin in the formation of CLEAR to begin with so between ben and my boss at that time mike rosenfeld uh, they uh, encouraged uh, participation uh, in clear and when i left ets and started working with uh, at that time applied measurement professionals which is lpsi uh, in the late 80s uh, i started going to clear meetings and it was uh, it, i enjoyed the opportunity that was there with uh, Uh, to work with colleagues in the credentialing testing industry and uh, get a different slant from the regulators uh, within the CLEAR organization?
2: Well, my first uh, initial um, uh, outing with CLEAR began uh, back in the 80s. Uh, I had just moved in from uh, being at the University of Texas and I started with the Texas Department of State Health Services and uh i started uh initially dealing with the uh uh emergency medical services uh licensure and testing program and uh, shortly i became um uh, uh, involved with the professional and licensing division and certification division for the texas department of health and it included a wide array of uh, licensing programs and uh, my boss had attended one of the first clear conferences that when Uh, that was organized, and when he came back and he said, Jim, you need to start getting involved in this organization, they do have a track that involves the examination section. So um, I first started uh, attending the CLEAR conferences when uh, they were in Orlando, I think it was back in the late 80s, and uh, have been uh, trying to go to CLEAR ever since then, and uh, the the, uh, Examination Resources and Advisory Committee has been a Uh, a real blessing for me because I had a chance to uh, experience dialogue with a variety of people from a variety of uh, uh, services in a variety of states. And I I met Steve through Claire and uh, people like uh, Cara Schmidt and Barb Showers and our friends in the state of colorado and the national testing services such as ets with mike rosenfeld and some of the other people just got me actively involved in the organization i learned so much in terms of how to deal with the examination components of the regulatory programs that i was in charge of
0: well it's quite a lot of history um, between the two of you guys and i know you've seen a lot uh, of changes over the years i guess what what would you say some of the biggest changes and in, in maybe innovations that you've seen, um, you know, in the testing industry uh, since then? And I, I know it's probably fairly big. Jim, let's start with you on that.
2: Well, I think the uh, the biggest change has been uh, going from a strictly pencil and paper uh, examination program to computer-based testing. And Absolutely. I remember when, yeah, and I first remember when uh, I was with the emergency and medical uh services program we uh did scantron sheets and we didn't even have the ability to uh grade uh you know the written examination so we had to contract with the university of texas and take all of our examination sheets over there and get them graded through the main their main line computer and uh, that's how it started and over the years we've just gone through computer-based testing and it's been a godsend i know there's some initial costs but it's uh it's helped us um, examine more people through a wide variety of uh, venues, and uh, has made the whole examination process a lot easier in terms of manpower.
1: Well, yeah, uh, I'll start with the changes, and this was they're sort of uh, the changes and in innovations. There's some overlap, uh, but for me, my uh, one of my jobs uh, uh, before I Came to ETS was working for the federal government, and I was uh, uh, in charge of grants for a five state area in the mid Atlantic region. One of my jobs was when the uniform guidelines came out on employee employment testings from the Department of Labor, Department of Justice, and the Civil Service Commission. It was 1978, and I had the wonderful job of training people on the, uh, or training personnel departments in those states on the uniform guidelines. And there was, when they first came out, there was controversy whether or not they applied to credentialing exam. And finally, uh, I think everybody agreed it did. So to me, the big change was now credentialing exams were uh, held to the same standards and uh, requirements that employment uh, testings uh, were held to, employment tests were held to. And the big change for me was when I first started working uh, with, uh, clients is a lot of the uh, clients that we're developing exams for had, had never done a job analysis and that was one of the basic requirements um it also uh targeted uh, things besides job analysis or practice analysis but you couldn't just uh, uh come up with a a passing score you had to do a passing score studies there was a lot of uh, discussion about content validity and and uh, other types of validity and whether empirical validity studies applied or whether content validity were sufficient and for the most part content validity was used to support the validity of the exams and because of that there was a lot of documentation requirements that uh, gradually evolved uh, over the years and especially in the 80s and and as it got improved in the 90s um, so that to me that was a big change is, is now we had we had to uh, We had requirements we had to meet and you could be uh, legally responsible for for that hopefully you never did because that was uh, one of the most unenjoyable uh, activities as as being an expert witness in support of an examination but uh, yeah the innovations i agree with jim the the big one was cbt but i would take it back uh, a step earlier to the computers uh when i first uh, switched uh, over in the 80s and, and changed jobs to work with amp we had uh, one what we called a midframe and then we had a uh, 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 a personal computer we're just breaking the, the news then and as they got more and more power powerful uh, we got to apply some of the more complicated testing models uh, to go along with us in the the first one I, I remember was uh, item banking in my very first career. Um, that was back in uh, the state of Illinois, back in the 70s, when we were doing civil service testing. We had card files, and each card had an item on it. When you wanted to develop a test, you would assemble a page of, of uh, the test with the cards and take a photocopy of it. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, yeah. We had thousands of <laughs> wow. It was. It was <laughs> It was horrible, <laughs> but uh, that was nice when we, the first application we did for, was uh, item banking on the, the computer. So it's nice to have the items there and especially it made the tests look real nice when you could print them out and, and uh, make uh, uh, copies that way. Um, the other thing I noticed is, is the innovations were passing score studies were pretty much non-existent and uh, or they were done on the old method of was a relative standard a statistical standard where they they use the the general rules like a one standard error or a half a standard error below the mean and it it took a while to convince uh, many of my clients that uh, this was not a good way to do it and we gradually got them into more of the uh, the the newer ones Angoff, and later on uh, Angoff continued to be very popular but there were some new new methods introduced and then the innovations over the years as I looked at the 20 or 30 years of, of uh, abstracts in the CER <clears throat> I noticed there was a lot of uh, talk about item innovations as computers were allowing us to do stuff uh, we did videos and auto- automated item generation I, I never did the automated item generation I thought that was a, a little difficult to do for the type of clients I had but it uh, it evolved, and then uh, as, of course, as uh, candidates will be candidates, as uh, things happened and the CBT came out, uh, the uh, cheating got more more and more popular, so there was a constant battle between the cheaters and the uh, test providers. Uh, and then the, the last thing, I think the innovating thing that, that I noticed was there's more and more talk about uh, continuing competence assessment in, in the later years and how, yeah, you, you were licensed. Once and you know, <laughs> twenty or thirty years later, what do you remember? Um, I probably could have used some continuing competence when as I got later on in my career. But those are some of the things that I brought up that that, that I think were the changes and in the innovations.
0: Right, that that makes makes good sense. But it, it kind of it kind of leads to obviously, uh, some challenges that were overcome, uh, thanks to technology, um, as things improved along the way, I guess, looking back and, and, and Steve, if you'll continue, kind of what, what were some of the biggest challenges um, that tend the testing industry it, it has actually faced, um, in, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, and then they sort of, as you said, they sort of overlap with the innovations as the as we innovated more and uh, started uh, implementing the uh, CBT exams, of course, the candidates evolved, and uh, uh, you can call it test security, or I call it, like to call it candidate misbehavior, uh, improved. So it was a constant battle about who was going to uh, uh, maintain the validity of exams. But uh, surrogates was a big uh, issue in both paper and pencil and CBT, and, and some of the biometric standards uh, helped us uh, work with the surrogates um, item harvesting was always a problem with the group, candidates, group of candidates memorizing items. They could, they could do it on paper and pencil before we did CBT, and then there was a, a push to do it on CBT, but they got uh, more clever and started using more sophisticated technologies, uh, little tiny cameras, and um, it, was, it was a constant battle trying to uh, figure out uh, what's the next thing we're going to have to fight against especially as uh, spy quote quote quote-unquote spy technology became more and more available on the internet Um, and then as more and more uh, organizations state organizations started using national or multi-state exams that uh, created uh, an issue where we would have to uh, include a lot bigger sample in our job analysis and practice analysis and try to find commonalities among the states that everybody could agree on that should be on the test so we had a lot of interesting discussions about that but a little bit of the international exam development um, it was popular for a while i guess it still is i worked with it a little bit with uh, mainly Can- uh, canadian companies and uh, um the French Canadians and the translations, that was, that became an issue. And then, you know, couldn't just do a straight translation and there's a whole bunch of research <laughs> and technology uh, improvements to get higher quality translations. Uh, then I think it was maybe in the nineties or early two <clears> thousands, there's a big push for innovative item types and, uh, how to get those into your exams and how do they mix with, uh, if you were still using multiple choice questions how how that all fit together and the, the osce's the uh, uh the practical exams um, <laughs> <or> sometimes mixed <laughs> yeah Jim, you're, you're familiar mm-hmm. with those <laughs> uh, you I'm can yeah, yeah, can can i can elaborate. elaborate
2: yeah can i elaborate on those practice exams one of the uh, uh one of the challenges that uh we had over at the in texas uh was the practical exam for massage therapists and uh, the um, the laws as they existed in the state at that time uh, required us to do a, a written as well as a practical examination to uh, licensed massage therapists in the state of Texas. And uh, first of all, we had to overcome the st- stigma of what uh, actually was a massage therapist. And through, uh, through a lot of education, we finally convinced uh, the communities that this was a legitimate uh, um, occupation and um, our our committees uh, stressed the fact that we needed to do a practical examination to test whether or not these people can actually do the different kinds of massage techniques as well as uh, administer a written examination. And we worked in partnership with uh, uh, Steve's organization, Applied Measurement Professionals, and we did actually administer a practical examination whereby. A candidate would go into the room, they would have a massage table and a client, and uh, the session, which was very short, was videotaped. And once the sessions were videotaped, uh, it would go back to a separate room that had a bunch of skill examiners in it that uh, would uh, that they would review the tapes, and we would get at least three, re- three reviews of each videotape. Before it was decided whether or not that person actually practiced the examination according to criteria that were pre-established about what constitute constitute acceptable performance of a particular massage therapy technique, and this was extremely labor-intensive. It uh, we you know we had to contract with various hotels to uh, get the hotel space so that we could strip down hotel rooms and put in massage therapy tables and uh, do the videotaping and we used to do that three times a year and uh, it just wore us out and we had to do it on the weekends and we would test hundreds in each session and uh, thank god they finally uh, abolished the practical examination with strictly with the national examination which certainly uh, cleared a lot of the uh, anxiety and a lot of the work involved in, in administering the examination component for that particular program. So I can, uh, you know, I can only remember some of the horrors that happened during some of those sessions that went on. But uh, uh, that was that was part of the uh, challenges we faced in the uh, testing industry at that particular point in time.
0: I, I thought for sure you were going to say that you volunteered to have the massage done. <laughs>
2: well, in some <laughs> cases, in some cases we had to because. Uh, uh, either they couldn't find a model or uh, something happened in the particular uh, model that we're going to use uh, uh, sometimes wasn't available. Or, uh, you know, a lot of times we would have two massage, uh, ca- massage therapy candidates just rotate back and forth, being the uh, actual client as well as the practitioner. So it worked out better right. in that way. But uh, it, it was a challenge, that's for sure. But it was successful
0: right nice. well um i guess uh jim uh, what if you had a crystal ball in front of you um what do you see for the future for for testing and and, and the testing industry itself
2: well i think uh I think the direction is going more towards internet based testing, and I have some reservations about the security involved in all of that, but uh sure i think in terms of uh um you know conducting the examination component uh, uh, quickly, affordable, and uh, provide the means to assess the competence and achieve the results within a very short period of time. I think that's that's the way it goes uh, for the future. I, I can't think of anything else that uh, would be as uh, technology-advanced for us to go into another direction to do otherwise. Uh, I can't think of anything else except go back to some traditional approaches to testing, but I don't think... Uh, uh, the testing industry would uh, would support that. So that's the way I think it's going.
1: Yeah. And I'd like to elaborate on Jim's uh, topic about the online testing. Um, to me, I'm not a big fan of it either. The, the proctoring issue has always been a, a something that I was could never feel real comfortable with. But one of the more practical uh, uh, topics I think was brought up in, in a couple of CLEAR meetings, uh, was the uh, the interfaces for online test administrations and you know everybody is at home taking the test on their own equipment they all have different equipment and does the interface work the same you know and one of the uh, basic tenets of val- uh, valid test scores is, is that uh, there's commonality that there's uh, everybody has the same experience and i wasn't convinced that you will but you know i could be showing my age there uh, But in terms of other, there's one other thing I wanted to mention about challenges was uh, when ADA jumped in and and it made uh, the whole accommodations issue. And that gets, again, gets back to the the commonality of testing because there's some, if you have uh, a candidate with disabilities, uh, you needed to provide possibly extra time or um, a different format for... for, uh, people with uh, visual uh, disabilities. So again, that, that's gonna be a continuing problem, I think. But I'm gonna go way out on the uh, future of the testing industry. I think is uh, artificial intelligence uh, adapts and comes in and this, you know, maybe 20, 30 years out or it may never happen. That's why I won't be here, so it won't matter. But uh, <laughs> the and <there> other <laughs> one I was thinking about that would be really neat is a uh, virtual reality. A long time ago when, when I was working, I can't remember where it was, but we were developing an examination for um, people that take uh, calls from an emergency calls for the police department and fire departments. And we uh, set up a little thing uh, that uh, in one channel of, they had to listen to headphones. So the one, one ear they would be the people calling in and the other ear would be um, other uh, uh complications from other apps, you know, so they the the controller, I can't, I can't remember exactly the name of the position, but the people that handle those calls had to be, you know, listened with both ears to two different things, and uh, virtual reality would make that a lot easier now. You could put the person in the vignette, uh, sort of like some of these uh, police simulations where you, or the uh, uh, military going into a a burnt out or a bombed building in in some other country, and trying to find terrorists, and what's your first reaction? And you know, do you shoot, or is it a, a, a civilian, or is it a terrorist? So I think virtual morality may may come into that in the future.
2: I think the pandemic has also uh, brought to light the industry of uh, certainly some of the uh, uh, testing programs I'm dealing with right now is the fact that uh, because so many Businesses and industries have been in affected by the pandemic that uh, it's going to force us to go back and take a look at some of the uh, job descriptions that have been uh, traditional for many of the uh, Occupational programs. I'm dealing with the people who are in the food service industry and in Texas thousands of establishments have just closed uh, because of the pandemic and uh, those that have remained open with limited uh, seating capacity uh employees have just learned to uh, take on so many additional skills and responsibilities that uh, really when you actually talk to them in terms of what they thought they were going into versus what they're actually doing are two separate things. So I think a lot of the uh, testing groups are going to have to go back and uh, get consensus on what actually are some of the new job responsibilities for a certain class of uh, occupations. Yeah, I think that's, nice. a, that's a
1: great point. That'll be interesting, Yeah, that's
0: COVID sort of threw a monkey wrench at everything. Absolutely. Well, it, uh, it's been a great conversation. Um, you know, we want to thank you both Steve and Jim for, for volunteering your time and expertise over these many years to bring, uh, this relevant and timely information uh, to our readership. So, um, so thank you for speaking with us today.
1: You're more than welcome. Yeah. yeah, we're very welcome. It was a, a great opportunity to, uh, number one, connect with Jim again. We used to see each other a couple times a year, but uh, also just sort of reminisce about uh, one's career and how uh, a big part CLEAR was to uh, creating a network of other uh, like-minded uh, psychometricians.
2: I agree, with, I agree with Steve wholeheartedly. Uh, one of the things that CLEAR uh, used to have that I wish they would uh, think about starting again is they used to have a column um, entitled Testing Across the Nation. And um, uh, I took over that responsibility uh, back in, oh, back a few years, well, many years ago, but people such as Carr Schmidt, who was in the state of Michigan, uh, Barb Showers in the state of Wisconsin, and of course I was here in Texas, we would actually poll. Uh, Testing experts around the country who are members of CLEAR about what was going on in their state or or in their particular testing program. And we would assemble that information and write a column uh, for each issue of CLEAR about what was going on across the country. And it was a very valuable tool in terms of finding out exactly what was happening, and uh, you had at least a contact person to go to if, in fact, you had some further questions about that particular program and uh, it was a lot of fun Uh, the pro uh, that particular column was uh, extinguished a few years ago but uh, maybe the uh, active clear committee members could think about starting a program like that or a column like that
1: again yeah i agree that was one of the benefits of the all the different columns in the cer that um, there's all sorts of topics brought about uh, brought up and people presenting uh, uh, papers that uh, Jim and I and the other folks would review, and it was a great educational opportunity to see how how things were done by somebody else. You know, it, uh, uh, I think it was it was a great uh, program when Clear decided to uh, start sharing this information way back, uh, way back. Well, I guess as you said, in the late 80s, late 80s, early 90s, right.
0: That's a, that's a great idea. You know, in the, inter, in the interim, you know, we might be able to utilize our CLEAR communities, which I'll, I'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, but I just wanted to say thank you guys for for being a part of CLEAR for, for so many years, um, and it certainly has been a pleasure to talk with you all today. Uh, you know, I also want to acknowledge Adrian Cadel and, and Sarah Winnick, who are joining the editorial board for CER. Uh, work is currently underway for the summer 2021 issue. Um, so we want to thank Adrian and, and Farah for their new perspective that they'll bring. And we look forward to the continued successes of, of the CER. Um, a reminder to our listeners though, uh, you know, CLEAR members can also access issues online and subscriptions can be purchased through CLEAR's publication page on the website. I also want to take a moment to thank our listeners for for tuning in once again for this episode. We invite you to continue the conversation uh, through our CLEAR discussion forum, which is what I was mentioning just a moment ago. Um, This podcast will be posted in the CLEAR community, um, and members can reply to the post with their comments. And, you know, I'll pose a couple of little ideas, uh, kind of seeds to plant. You know, kind of what challenges and innovations do you see in the future for licensing examinations? Um, Maybe, you know, what testing and examination topics would you like to hear discussed at CLEAR events? We'd really love to continue this conversation on Clear Communities, And we'll be back with another episode of Regulation Matters, A Clear Conversation very soon. If you're new to the Clear Podcast, please subscribe to us. We're available in a lot of places. um, On Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Alexa for Amazon Echo devices, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes, and Pandora. Um, And I think Stephanie keeps adding more to every, every time we do this. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, please leave a rating or comment in the app. Uh, Those reviews help us to improve our ranking and make it easier for new listeners to find us. And also feel free to visit our website at www.CLEARHQ.org for additional resources, as well as a calendar of upcoming online programs and events. Finally, I'd like to thank CLEAR staff, specifically Stephanie Thompson. Uh, She is our content coordinator and editor for our program. And once again, I'm Lye Dempsey, and I hope to be speaking to you again very soon.